This is Sunday Letters, the weekly newsletter on life, work and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Larry McGuire. Sunday Letters has been on the go since 2015 in written form and more recently in audio form. And you'll find no advertising here, no marketing, no round-the-corner attempts by third parties to sell you stuff you don't need and part you from your cash. Instead, this show is about content of a deeper nature. Stuff that keeps me up at night. Stuff that I spend hours and days researching, writing, editing, recording. And all because I think it's worth sharing. I think it's worth your consideration. And if you enjoy the stuff that I do, if you like what I write and enjoy what I record, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It costs a fiver a month or 50 a year. And you'll help me create more time to make stuff like this. Get over to sundayletters.larrygmaguire.com to show your support for the show. So, here's this week's edition. In this week's issue of Sunday Letters, I'm taking a look, first look, at leadership. And over the next six weeks, I'll be delivering you a new essay on the art of ethical leadership. These essays... Uh, used to form part of another publication on Substack, which I'll be closing shortly, called The Lead. And although it was a good idea, a good concept, in my opinion, uh, to write specifically on leadership and the aspects of it, the good and the bad of it, uh, on one publication, separate from everything else I'm doing, maintaining that and the brand associated with it and just the headspace that you need to get yourself in to write something 2,000 words long, referenced, uh, in-depth, and structured in such a way that, you know, it's kind of half good, um, a decent effort. It's difficult because there's Sunday letters as well, and I try to, you know, give the best I can to that essay at least once a week, if not twice. And the lead, although I enjoy writing leadership articles, uh, the lead as a as a standalone publication just couldn't continue. So I decided uh, those essays would be subsumed or the, the lead would be subsumed into or by Sunday Letters in a separate section uh, called Leadership. So that's what I'm doing. There's a section in Sunday Letters titled Leadership, and you'll find these essays contained there. Uh, the first in the series is titled The Essence of Leadership, and I'll get into that in a second. Uh, I'll narrate it for you this week. And really, I'm just skirting the edges, I suppose, because this subject, you know, like any subject, you can go deep, as deep as you like, go off, taken down a rabbit hole uh, into various different aspects of the subject. So, um, I'm essentially looking at, you know, the question of what is leadership and what it means to me. And I can't help but give you a personal spin on it because, I mean, uh, anything else would just be dry. And uh, you might you could get that in a textbook, you know, and, and that's not what I want to do. If you've been reading my stuff for a while, you'll know that I try to give you some kind of personal perspective or uh, something to that extent in, in the things that I write. So. Let's get into it. Uh, this week in Sunday Letters begins the series on leadership. 
The essence of leadership. The essence of leadership is not so simple to capture and perspectives are broad and varied. For example, there are perspectives of gender, personality, social context, culture and ethics, to mention just a few. It may be, in fact, impossible to define concretely what leadership is. Nevertheless, to explore the concept and endeavour to understand it is to understand oneself and therefore make better leadership decisions. Understanding oneself is perhaps the most crucial component in living a fulfilling life, let alone in leading others. And so this self-pursuit will form the core of many essays on the subject of leadership. Development is a lifelong project that is perhaps never complete. Therefore, knowing oneself lies at the seat of effective leadership. I've never considered myself a leader per se. In fact, I back away from self-assigning the label. It's too showy, and to assign it to oneself represents a fundamental weakness in character, in my opinion. Many leaders place themselves in the spotlight, and with red ties, power suits, and rhetoric, they make their mark often at the expense of others. Instead, true leadership is something conferred on us by others. The greatest misconception any person graced with the honour of leadership can hold is that they are or should be front and centre. The misconception is perhaps the antithesis of true leadership. And as we see in future essays in the leadership series, it brings about detrimental consequences. I've seen it so many times myself, bad leadership. Over the years, demonstrated enough times myself to offer some perspective that I think it's worth sharing. When it comes to work, I prefer to put the blinkers on, heads down, head down and get stuck in. This doesn't mean I ignore the peripherals. That would be foolish. Things on the fringes often become or disrupt central components, so it pays to keep them on the radar. What I mean is, I've always sought to do my work to a high standard, not for notoriety or praise, but because the work itself was worth the effort. Regardless of how it came about, I always seem to end up in certain roles that demanded responsibility. That experience has taught me many things about good and bad leadership, and indeed about myself over the years. I've had no formal leadership training as such. Instead, I relied upon my instincts. Many leadership skills usually meant adopting a get it done or else approach in the traditional masculine character. And that worked for a long time, but eventually I had to come to terms with the fact that it was a less than optimal method. It's adversarial and invariably splits the camp. And under crisis situations, it can be like pouring petrol on a fire. Seth M. Spain suggests in Leadership, Work and the Dark Side of Personality that we must understand human nature to understand leadership. And that means ourselves. Because, he said, leadership is one half of a relationship between at least two human beings. And the first step in this is to understand oneself. According to Spain, leadership may not solely be determined by individual character. However, it strongly reflects it. Reflecting my time on my time in business and the accompanying leadership roles, I can now see this view's accuracy. A definition of leadership. So what is leadership? Is it forced upon an unsuspecting group by a dogmatic controlling person? Or is it demanded of unwitting individuals by their group or community? Should followers follow? Or should they insist that their chosen leader represent their interests? There is so much to this question, it is impossible perhaps to cover in one article.
However, let's start by offering some interesting definitions. Former US President Dwight Eisenhower famously defined leadership as the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. This view is centered on the idea that coercion of others is necessary. It implies perhaps the Machiavellian view that means justify ends. And maybe that's required under certain conditions such as war. But business is not war, or at least it doesn't need to be. And other approaches can be achieved, can be achieved and better results can be achieved for all concerned. Eisenhower also is reported to have said, you don't lead by beating people over the head. That's assault, not leadership. So perhaps it's harsh to assume he was Machiavellian in his approach. That said, most organizations, regard, regardless of the domain in which they operate, rely primarily on a top-down hierarchical model of leadership. Gary Eukel at the University of Albany, New York, offers us a more holistic and inclusive view of leadership. He says, Leadership is the process of influencing others to understand and agree about what needs to be done and how to do it, and the process of facilitating individual and collective efforts to accomplish a shared objective. Eukel suggests that the term leadership is taken from our everyday vocabulary and often used interchangeably with other terms such as power, authority, management, administration, control and supervision. As such, our understanding of leadership behaviour can be tinted by ambiguity and misunderstanding. He cites Bennett, Bennis from a 1959 article. Always, it seems, the concept of leadership eludes us or turns up in another form to taunt us again with its slipperiness and complexity. So we have invented an endless proliferation of terms to deal with it, and still the concept is not sufficiently defined. A leadership definition will usually follow a researcher's theoretical angle or reflect the practitioner's perspective, their on-the-ground experience. That means definitions are broad and diverse, and perhaps this is how it should be for leadership, because it means different things to different people under an infinite expanse of human experience. Whether or not it is a viable theoretical construct is an entirely separate matter. What's true, perhaps, and what should be parallel with any discussion on leadership is the concept of followership. The leadership-followership dichotomy. As I mentioned earlier, leadership seems to be the apparent product of human relationship. I can only be a leader if some are willing to follow. But who creates who? I think this is an important consideration. Do people wait around for someone to present themselves as the leader, or do they demand it of someone? In a corporate setting, it seems clear. You know when you accept a job that you'll have a boss to whom you'll report. Everybody reports to somebody in a corporate setting. But what about in the broader social context? In the early 20th century, rise of fascism in Europe, for example, did Hitler and Mussolini impose their will on the people, or did the people push these autocratic personalities to the front? We know only too well the catastrophic impact their leadership styles had on society at the time, but anti-Semitism had been brewing for perhaps the previous 80 years or more. Hatred fueled by the press made acceptable, acceptable by political rhetoric, meeting social unrest, uh, created a firestorm. Still, I would be of the view that these leaders were created and sustained not only by local demand, 
but by the expression of a global structure. Who funded their movement? Who supplied them with raw materials, education and knowledge? Who provided them with the resources necessary for their execution of barbaric ideals? They were supported and fueled not only by local popular opinion, but by international vested interests. I'm steering slightly off the main thrust of this article, but still, the above illustrates that leaders and followers are mutually causative, and there are often more aspects to their rise than we want to admit, or that may seem apparent. Trump is a contemporary case in point. Vast waves of people in the United States felt the powers in Washington did not represent their views, and when they were presented with what they deemed a viable alternative, they backed him. Couple this with the need of the Republican Party to hold power, and we had the perfect recipe for placing a buffoon in arguably the most powerful seat of power in the Western industrialized world. Thankfully, the American people resolved the situation recently. For, for how long? 80 million people voted for Trump, whose policies, it should be said, were constructed to garner votes and not because they were an integrated part of a social agenda. I don't think the scope of his intelligence reaches that far beyond the boundary of his own school. People, even his own family and institutions of the United States, serve to fulfil Trump's narcissistic motivations. To Donald Trump, everything, not him, is a political means for personal gratification. He is the quintessential narcissist, autocratic leader. Of course, that's merely my personal opinion, but it's backed up by thinkers who know much more than I do about these matters. What's interesting and perhaps scary about Trump is that the leadership-followership dichotomy can put dangerous people in powerful positions. In conclusion, without followers, there would be no leaders. Although autocratic leadership styles have dominated the ranks of business and beyond for quite some time, there is clear evidence that this dogmatic trend is shifting. The representative view of leadership taken from the political sphere, for example, suggests that the leader represents their followers. They consider their constituents' diversity of views and attempt to synthesize them towards a coherent vision for the organization or society. In this way, both leader and follower are co cooperative agents in the dynamic of change. Of course, this, uh, this idea is somewhat idealistic insofar as politicians are seldom this straight. Often they become the lapdogs of corporate interests, but the principle has merit. According to Seth M. Spain, the representative view is not necessarily at odds with traditional hierarchical models of leadership, given that business leaders must often consult with other members of the corporation in decision-making. In this sense, successful leadership is an art, as Eisenhower had suggested, and requires a sensitive balancing act between the leader's desire and that of their followers. Leadership is not linear and is certainly not a one-way street. Leadership is a product of a 360-degree relationship, of a personal and a social phenomenon. Therefore, to be an effective leader, we must understand ourselves, those with whom we interact, and the environment in which we find ourselves. The years have taught me that hierarchical leadership concepts are not advantageous to everyone equally. Instead, they create an exponential loss for those further down the pyramid, and so are fundamentally flawed. True leadership, I have found, whether you are in business or otherwise, is about taking responsibility for cultivating a social environment that benefits everyone equally. It's why I believe 
the traditional pursuits of capitalism and its contemporary neo-capitalism are not good for the human race. They are the product of short-term materialistic ideals. They identify, intensify and commoditize human craving for instant gratification and make no apologies for it. The petrol on the fire analogy might be suitable here again. Effective and sustainable leadership, in my opinion, requires a sense of humanity, humility and a social imperative towards the welfare of a larger number of people than oneself. In contrast, the neo-capitalist model serves only a thin wedge of interest and ends constituted by material wealth and power justify any means necessary for that achievement. Neoliberal capitalism, therefore, can never meet the needs of a socially conscious leader. I also believe that the majority are too easily cajoled and manipulated. Therefore, we must practice self-leadership. Often we are co-conspirators in the deceit, discarding critical thinking in favour of cognitively fluent messages. I'd love to believe that the majority can change, that leaders can act with integrity for the benefit of more than themselves, or a tight minority. But perhaps that's too much to ask. Thanks for reading or listening to this week's Sunday Letters on Leadership. Uh, as I said at the top of this episode, over the next six weeks, I'll be bringing you additional articles on leadership. And there is a lean towards uh, the negative side or the darker side of leadership, identifying it, contrasting it with more positive aspects of leadership, uh, but highlighting when instances where, uh, when and where leadership can go terribly wrong. And it seems to be that when narcissistic ideals, when it's the pursuit of power and glory for the sake of self-reinforcement, you know, when you're when you're out there trying to fulfill yourself, uh, demonstrate to the world that you exist. And the means by which you do that is sacrificing other people. Then justifying your uh, your means uh, after the fact, I think. um, we're heading down the wrong road, you know, and uh, we have to, as I mentioned in the article, we have to have a broader sense of, of, of what's good. You know, the narrower that sense of good is, the, 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 the less number of people are served by our actions. Well, then uh, those actions, there's going to be a lot of people will suffer. And I mean, we don't have to look too far to see the, the outcome of that. Uh, I'll have more on on this for you, like I said, over the next six weeks. So I hope you'll stick around. Um, uh, I enjoy researching this topic. Uh, so hopefully you'll enjoy reading and listening to what I have for you uh, to come. Okay, that's it for now on Sunday Letters. Hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Take care of yourself. Come on, Italy. European Cup final. Uh, I'm not a soccer head, but uh, <laughs> I'm up for Italy. All right. No offense, my English listeners and readers. Take care of yourselves until uh, midweek and we have the Nomic. And uh, until then, I'll see you. All the best.